Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. I'm joined today by Kyle Lee, who is an assistant professor of design technology at Parsons School of Design. Kyle's been doing interesting work with Roblox and interaction design and thinking about the future of all sorts of things. Before we get to any of that, I want to welcome Kyle to the show. Kyle, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. You're doing interesting work. We'll be getting into that in a bit. We always like to begin by getting to know you a little bit better. Can you catch our listeners up on how you got to this point in your professional life? I really like the question you sent me about the origin story, right? Yes. Because when I think about origin story, when I think about superheroes, the origin story for superhero always have two major steps. One is the moment he gained the superpower. Yeah. And then he decided to use the superpower for good, mm. right? So in that pattern, I think when I start to understand that what I really wanted to do is interaction design is when I came to actually Parsons for graduate school. Okay. And it was a painstaking process because it, it, a lot of that process is really about finding out who you are and what you love, even though this is decision you make probably affect the next, only the next three, four, five years of your career, but there's a lot of hard conversation you have to have for yourself. So that is when I started to, instead of doing research and looking for inspirations externally, I started to think about what I love to do. And I, you know, I love toys and games. And so I used that sort of as my center of resources or inspirations. And I start to build out my understanding of design from there. I was very fortunate to have that process happen when I was in the graduate school here. And then I met the mentor of my life that kind of pulled me into the world of educations. I participated in a project called Quest to Learn, where they, they try to redesign public middle school entirely from growing up and using the STEM theories and new media theory as a way to capture students' attention. And throughout that process, I built many digital games for the middle school that I work with. And we have installations where kids can play this embodied game, they're running around, interact with projection mapping contents. And we did a lot of research through looking back how Sesame's workshops, looking at TV educations, because yeah. a lot of that media educations are very rich. And if you replace the TV with games, it works the same way. I learned a lot by working so closely with kids. And I think as an interaction designer, that is one of the most rewarding experience I have as an interaction designer. Because if you make a good game, kids were running around in the classroom and say, this is the best game in the world. And then if they don't like your games, they will also make sure you know why. So that back and forth is something that you probably wouldn't get working as a typical game designer. because. That feedback will come to you after a long time. So that was great. And throughout that process, I really start to think that maybe this is a calling for you. Maybe this is what I love to do. And in my thesis, I also run into another mentor who was my thesis teacher. And the way he teach the class is less about, let me tell you this, rememberize it. It will help you later. He's always coming to class and say, how can I help you? Hmm. If you have this idea, you want to get this material, how can I get you all those things so you can start making? Because I think from his point of view, he understand that once you have that motivation already, if I continue to support you, you will start an iterative process to understand, you will conceptualize your ideas. And in that process, 
you will learn more about your thesis project than anywhere else. And I was like, oh, I didn't know education can be like this. Right. Instead of instructions, it can be sort of a supportive relationship. And that is really sort of give me this curiosity in terms of, oh, what would it be like to be a teacher? Mm -hmm. And and that's how I get into this career. Yeah. So I have been teaching at Parsons since 2008. This is my, I do do the math, oh, 15 years um, yeah. at Parsons. And I will say that I have two gold being a professor here because there's really no one there to teach you how to be a teacher. Right. You know, you, you watch people who have been around for a long time. You learn from them. You watch how they operate in the university and you kind of take what you think will work or work for you and kind of figure out your way. So I have always thought that one of the goals that I want to do in university is to shorten the gap between school and the industry. Mm -hmm. And then I think the design technology that I work in does that, you know, because design technology, it's really hard to understand the program by just listening to the name. But what the design technology doing is we're kind of standing between the society and the technology, right? Yeah. So what could be the storyteller? What could be advocates for users? And that is a lot of time how I differentiate sort of a technology program in a design school versus engineering school and computer science because i always feel like engineering school and computer science school the end of the process is more machines more technology you worry about efficiency you worry about how quick can the computer do the job can they do more job at the same time right but in a design program we kind of utilize this sort of a user-centered design approach to technology so when we think about technology when we work with technology our end goal is the users, mm -hmm. people who use the technology or people who work with technology. So that is very interesting. I think that core value stick around in the program, but the program itself work really close with technology trend. Yeah. We look at many different things. I want to shorten the gap between industry and school. And, you know, I want school to buy the most expensive technology. <laughs> We've been through a couple of years now. 3D printer is very affordable. You know, laser cutter is almost there. It's still in the ballpark of two to $4,000. And there's like desktop CNC routers. A lot of things are, this is something that we can imagine to have our own. You know, when I was in school in the 90s or yeah, early yeah. 2000, right? And this is our becoming available. And I remember in 2010, when I start getting interested into this idea of ham on display. And I was looking into a technology that can do that. And the only thing that you can buy from Amazon at the time was a headset that gives you only 320 by 160 resolution. Yeah. That's not charming at all. And I found one with an HD display and that setup is $32,000 I cannot afford, right? right. So, so when you are working as a technologist, you constantly run into situations that what I can afford is not good at all. And, and what I want to work with, I can't afford it. Yeah. Oculus came out, changed the games. It becomes more affordable. And I think, you know, the maker community really helped the VR sort of develop identity of its own. Yeah. And then recent year, we're looking at motion capture. Early 2000, we also have the multi-touch screen. I don't know if you remember. Right. A lot of this technology comes in gold. And I think people who are interested in technology, I think one of the big reasons that you come into a university to work with your peers and professors and whatnot, I think access to those high-end technology yeah. uh, should be one of the options. Yeah. So that is my two self-inflated things. Every time I see opportunity, it was like, 
let's get this technology for students or for faculty research so we can push stuff further, you know? Yeah. And I think that makes the life here super fun because you're constantly looking at new technology and thinking about how would this help users? How would this help designers? Yeah. And if there is interest there or if there's a potential there, let's start a class. Let's work yeah. with someone on this. You know, we don't know everything, right? So let's bring an expert in to talk to students. And I think that is really the fun part of the program. I mean, you know, I myself, I got tired of things really quickly. So this is really, I think this is really why, and other than working with students and watching them change throughout mm -hmm. the years they spend here, and that, mm -hmm. that is fascinating, but constantly looking at new technology and work with new technology, I really like that. And we did the first Connect class years before our competitors, our rivals, mm -hmm. and we did IBM Watson's with IBM in 2016, when IBM Watson just came back to the spotlight again. And we have machine learning classes. We have VR, AR classes. Yeah. We started when DK1 this came out because we realized Parson, we're very good with content creations. And one of the things that creative technologies look at technology is what kind of role does this technology take in our day-to-day -day life? If this technology cannot find a place in our living room, then this technology will probably not going to get this popularity or will probably slowly fading away. You know, we see multi-touch screen kind of went through that process. Couldn't find a role in our living room. And people put it on the refrigerator, people putting on the tabletop, even really creating a critical role in that space. And I don't want that to happen to VR. I always, when I saw VR for the first time, one of my colleagues pre-ordered a DK1 and we watch it. We did a roller coaster. Both of us almost threw up. Sensor was not very good. It messed up your balance. And it was like, but this is it. This is interesting. Yeah. This is yeah. not, and this is different than the technology revolutions where you see new technology coming out, replace all the old technology of the same sort. In the early 2000s, we see black panel replace a CRT TV. Yeah. And CRT TV is just gone. None. But this is different. VR is not coming in and take over IMAX take over flat screen TVs. It's providing alternative way to view media, you know, yeah, more, yeah. maybe potentially more immersive, more interactive. And, you know, for me, very interested in interactions. It is inevitable that become my next step uh, to look at all this VR, AR has to offer. And that kind of leads to Web3, uh, Metaverse, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about, Kyle. Yeah. There was quite a lot in there. And that does also speak to what I find fascinating as someone who's been in this space, you know, educational technology, emerging media for the last 20 years, is that if you watch something over a longer period of time, your perspective changes. You start to see trends in different light. Things that seemed ready actually weren't, but then 10, 15 years later, they suddenly are. And then also macro trends like the gaming one that you're describing and the platforms that have emerged, including Roblox, which is the one that, that I definitely wanted to dig into a little bit further with you, you're able to see those both in terms of what they are right now, but also connect them to previous iterations and, and sort of the history of the technology and, and how users have interacted with it. Can you talk a little more about what y'all have going on with Roblox and maybe describe a little bit what Roblox is and then how you're partnering with them and what kind of research you're doing. I don't think I have to explain Roblox too much because everyone that I know, if they have kids, yeah. if their kids is around like 13 and younger, all of them are playing Roblox. So, yeah. yeah. So 
people who are probably listening to this podcast will hate it, relaxing their parents because their kids playing too much, especially throughout the pandemic where people study at home. But what I learned about Roblox after I start working with them is that they actually self-identify as a technology company, mm. not a game design company. And that, that came out as a surprise in some of our conversation. And over time, I also slowly understand why they're here, why they're coming to university. Roblox is a platform, right? And it has actually a working in-platform economic system. Another feature that they have, which is very crucial to the current Roblox ecosystem is what we call the UGC program. UGC is user-generated content. So yep. kids can build their assets and sell those assets on the platform. Right. Um, this is a very vibrant system there. I actually just had guest speaker come into our class talking about UGC, and they were saying that 90% of the fashionable items, things that you can wear, put on your avatars, are made by users. Mm. So the company only made about 10% of them. It's mm. crazy. If you look at everything that's available on Roblox, that's 98%. Mm. that was made by users. And so they have many plans in the future. They also, some of the items that you buy, you can resell them in the market. So their economy system is working really, really well. When I first read about Roblox, it was because it was named as one of the five platforms that's closest to the idea of metaverse. So I got curious, so I look into it and it was like, okay, so when we think about metaverse, there's many components that, that people think the metaverse should have in the near future. UGC is one of them. Right now we talk about AI machine learning stuff. So I think in the future, the AI generated contents will be also a huge part in yeah. that categories. Yeah. Uh, fantasy world, immersive experiences, economy, XR experiences. Those are all huge components and you can see Roblox already check in many of those areas. It doesn't matter if they are self-identified as a metaverse or not, they do have that quality. And if you research further, it's just looking at the recent launch of the Horizon, Meta Horizons in Europe, it flopped. But if you look at the flop, the reason really behind the flops is they didn't really do their user research well. Facebook has 2.9 billion users. And in those users, only 340 million users play games on a monthly basis. And if you work in the game industry, you know that people who don't play game cannot stand low poly graphics. Mm -hmm. This is not real. What's the point of looking at it? And so we're talking about 90% of the Facebook users don't understand the graphic styles. So I think. They're missing out on the user research part. And there's another important reason there is that their benchmark target, they originally actually select their benchmark target to be this VR game called Rec Room. Mm. So Rec Room is a game that you can play with your friend, Oculus, Oculus Store, and other VR platforms. And if you look at the two games, especially the render, you see a lot of similarity. You know that they're, that Meta is looking at that as a references, but they didn't consider that the majority of the user actually don't like low poly graphics. They want something more realistic to lure them in to the mm -hmm. metaverse. So that's actually the, the other part that I'm very interested in working with Roblox is to looking at the metaverse really from a user point of view. The other thing that I was really excited about working with Roblox when they approached us last year is that. I work in higher education, the world of higher ed. And 
I teach both undergrads and graduates. But if you talk to any of the content creator, especially some of the more successful ones from Roblox ecosystems, some of them start playing game at six years old, and then they start to build contents or try stuff out when they were nine or 10, and they got discovered it when they were 12 or 13. By the time they're 16, some of them already create their own company. Some of them become working on social networks. One of the speakers that's coming in a couple months, he also helped Redbox licensing products. Yeah. I met one of the content creator last year. She was 19 years old. She has her own company. Her games has went over 500 million plays oh. by the Roblox players. Yeah. And she already put out 20 games on the platforms. And there's many stories like that. None of them went to university, right? So if Roblox becomes the future of metaverse, if this has become an ecosystem, if this is a place where people actually can develop a career path yeah. out of it, you know, where does higher education play a role? I mean, I'm not coming in here as, oh, I want tuitions, but, right. but, but I want to shorten the distance between school and the industry. We don't even have that distance to begin with. If this become a career path, how right. can we help? How can we be relevant in that area? This is our fourth week into the course. It's really, really interesting. We have graduate students who are in their late 20, early 30s, and we have some of our college students who are in their early 20s. And, you know, guest speakers are 19 years old, 20 years old. Yeah. And some of them making incomes that's both of their parents combined. But this is not just for Roblox. This is for people who have actually, they develop a business mind in the early age. They understand to create yeah. an ecosystem. So, They're a small business. Yeah, exactly. I think that's fascinating. You know, talk about what has changed when we were in school compared right. to students' mindset in school is I think student now is more insecure about jobs and they want to secure a job, but they also don't want to commit to a career. So they're yeah. very confused when they're in school. And I think listen to all this varieties. There are other classes talking about different career opportunities. It's interesting. Students are very excited. They couldn't figure out how you have a company of your own when you were 18. Like, how do you do all this before you even go through a program? And this idea that you can actually learn anything from it is interesting. You know, I still think the higher ed has few critical elements. For example, like the expensive technology part. Yeah. And also the in-person social interactions. And I think a lot of that we kind of ignore. We only look at programs and degrees, but we didn't ignore the time that, that people spend together in all the activity. And I think that plays an important role for higher education experience as well. All of the things makes me fascinating by a company like Roblox and I want students to see that too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting what you're talking about leads me to think about the future of work and the future of education. And in some ways, your model, more of like a lab model, like an innovation lab where new technology is a purchased and made available centrally with some mentorship and guidance, and then allowing students to actually learn by making. In a lot of ways, that's similar to what Roblox is putting together in terms of their platform except students are getting access to that from age six onward. It does make me wonder where you see things heading down the road. There's also, I have heard the term metaversities, which is the university has a virtual presence, whether it's in Roblox or in some sort of VR experience. 
to me that also connects a little bit to the idea of what hybrid becomes when you start talking about mixing all of these formats together. You know, you're talking about the importance of being physically together, but through VR, you can get some kind of proxies for that. I'd love to get a little more of your take on what the user experience might be like in the future, how work is evolving and how some of what you're onto in terms of a lab in higher ed that's connected to industry, perhaps as a model. I'd love to get a little bit of your thinking around where this is headed and what you've learned with what you have going on at Parsons. From my perspective, I think a lot of time, most people misunderstood the word metaverse. So because it has the verse in it, so people think that this is a place to go, but we don't really have any time for a new place to go. We have that much minutes in a day and we spend different times doing different things. In a day we sleep, we eat and drink, we go to work. We spend time with ourselves. We spend time with loved ones and friends. We watch TVs and do all that. Our day is occupied, right? From a design point of view, I think what metaverse is interesting is when we think about how we spend all those minutes with our smart technology, are those experienced good enough, right? So for example, some of the research saying that we spend as a growing and working individuals, we spend about 31 minutes on education ourselves or study on a daily basis. Hmm. How much those 30 minutes that we're already spending using our smartphones, watching a YouTube videos on yeah. like a tutorials or watching a TED talk. Maybe listening to a podcast, Kyle? Podcast, yes, yes, podcast. So I think the idea of metaverse is questioning those experiences. Are those good enough? Can immersive technology like VR, AR, MR, or XR, can they enhance those experiences? Can they create a new version of that experiences so you can spend that 31 minutes differently? That is the core idea of a metaverse. So a lot of people are building new places for you to go. I feel like a lot of times the idea is so far-fetched, it disconnected to our day-to-day -day life. There's also studies saying that we spend about 280 minutes on leisure on a daily basis. Right. So play games, watch movies and stuff like that. How much that has been already done on our smartphones? Right. How much can be done with newer technology? Mm -hmm. That should be the source of whatever we're questioning, what can we do in metaverse? And this is why platform like Roblox are successful is you watch your kids going on Roblox and they're going to meet their friends at a portal place and talk a bit and they will decide, what do we do here? Do we play games? What game do we play? There's so much options. Right. In Roblox, because not all the games are generated by players. Yes. So this, all these players know what other players want to play. They know what kind of characters or animated character this other player attracted to. So there, this is actually, I think, me growing old in the university, looking at younger generation. I remember when I started teaching, one of the mentor was like, Kyle, you have to know every time, every year, you will be teaching and you are a year later, but your students stay the same age. Yeah. It took me a while to understand what that means when I... Realize what that means. Wow, this is real. And then you can help the generation grow bigger. The gap between generation grows bigger, but the creativity is still there. I'm really proud of being in this ecosystem is because whenever we collaborate with external partners, they're fascinating of what students are doing. 
And I remember this conversation I had with Panasonic when they came to Parsons to do the collaboration was actually first time in their company's 100-year history that they decide to work with an external design entity, right? So we're very proud of it. And still on the process, the lead designer from Panasonic told me, I finally realized why we are here. I asked him why, and he said that Panasonic hired the best designer from Japan. We're the national brand of Japan, Japanese design, but those designers are in their 50 and 60. Yeah. When you ask them to design uh, MP3 players for 20 years old, all they come up with is complaint of new generations. Yeah. But when you work with young designers, they are socially engaged. They know how to describe the problem using design terms. Mm -hmm. You really see a different perspective. Things that a 60 years old or 50 years old will not understand will maybe neglect by research done by a more mature group looking at society. And we're looking at a generation of students who are going to become the next generation of consumers and they know what's up. And so... When you are saying that I have all this approach, like let, learn how to let go is really a thing that I learned over the years. I started about very micromanagement, great in many different areas. And then I realized students actually can see things I cannot see. And to harness that to the full potential, I need to learn to let go sometimes. And I think that is something that I learned over the years here is exactly that. And then feel comfortable about that your students will eventually do something and give them the support they need and learn to let go from time to time helps bring up the quality of the work. Because, you know, we're not a craft school. Right. We're not talking about your C-curve, S-curve, the quality of the C-curve and the consistency. We're focusing on concepts. We're conceptual-driven design school. So that ideas, a lot of times, it really has to do with the social experience that they have, especially in New York. You know, I have kids come to me and say, Kyle, do you know my generation think about death a lot? I was like, wow, this is heavy. But that is fascinating. Listen yeah. to them talking about how they worry about the mental health of their peers. And it just, it's super sincere. And it was like, there, there is endless creativity, like energy coming out of the younger designers. And now they have ability to come up with the solutions and who is there to take that away from them? We went through, you know, in 2010, where like NYC Media Lab was around and this idea of bringing up like technology company, uh, industry companies to work with university. It's really that they're here to see that raw power that the freshman students or the sophomore student has before they got locked down by all the design principles yeah. or like what famous people we once said. You can see that when they would just reacting to things with the most pure and round, reckless reaction. And a lot of times, you know that this, some of them are not being able to execute and stuff like that, but it reminds the company mm -hmm. there are other possibility and options. Absolutely. Yes. I'm a parent of a four-year-old, so I continue to be struck by the raw, powerful creativity and innovation. His user-generated content started to get a little bit better. I would be curious for your advice to folks who think about education or folks who are charting a career in education. You know, you were touching on the power of user-generated content and user-centered design thinking in terms of your general approach. A lot of those things do seem to translate naturally into a classroom. You've modeled it many ways with what you have going on at Parsons. Is there any advice or suggestions you might give to educators, people who are thinking about designing 
learning environments based on your research and your experience. I mentioned briefly about that is I started teaching, trying to, to micromanaging everything, right? Mm -hmm. And you think about why student turning their project last minutes. And then, and I think a lot of time the answer is really, if you think back when you were student, the stress and pockets that you went through, and I have to say, I was never an A student. I do what I have to do, but I think because of that process, you know, I, I don't learn things super quickly, understand things quickly, but to push that, to push over, to become more efficient on certain things, it took me a long time. So I understand that struggle. I think when I become a teacher, I try my best not to take things for granted. And I think that's very important. I think that leads to understand, you know, think about things from a student point of view. And, yeah. and, you know, because I had those struggle when I start learning programming language, I have graphic design backgrounds and I taught myself programming language and I watch endless YouTube videos on Flash back in the days yeah, or go to website and looking for code samples and stuff like that. So I understand that process because I'm not traditionally trained and it took me a while to learn things that I wanted to learn. So I, I kind of have that empathy. And this goes back to the user-centered design, right? The first step to user-centered design is to research, is to empathize your audience. And I think that steps, I took that into my teaching. And then the idea of supporting them with what they need. And this also tied back to some of the early research by Sesame Street Workshop. And I think one of the quotes that was powerful is that when you get kids focused, it's time to teach them something. So how do you motivate. One of the things that we said all the time at Quest to Learn is that how do we create a need to know in students? Students have the need to know and they will self-motivated to want to find out the answer. Yeah. Right? And I think playful experiences or games that have certain level of difficulty have that tendency that kids mm -hmm. want to get better at the game and that becomes a need to know for them. And they were like, oh, what do I do? Do I press this button faster? Yeah. Or do I wait for this to happen? Then press this. They only wanted to know what happened. And I think that I utilize the same strategy in class mm -hmm. as well. I definitely do my own research. And because I come in, talk a lot about toys and games, and I use a lot of references from that. And I explain things to food, you know, I try to get interesting topic, not, not like cliche or annoyingly relevant. Try to find a balance there, but just if you can wow students, and if you made an impression of the students, oh, this is interesting, I should right. try it. Mm -hmm. Then you don't really have to push them that hard because they have the Google search too. They will find information, right? And we're situated in the area that we have a bunch of different libraries surrounding us. And there's documents that you couldn't find copies online that was published before 90s and 80s. Those are super helpful for them. And so once I create that need to know in students, the rest of them is just supporting them or point them to the right directions. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the careers that are emerging and some of the new and emerging technologies that clearly you are staying on top of those trends, what are you seeing? Is there anything new and emerging career areas or just competencies that people should be ramping up on to stay relevant in these rapidly changing times? So there was a research actually by Bell's, I think is center of tomorrow. And they did this research in 2017 and in 2017, they say based on their research, 75% of the jobs that exist in 2030 hasn't been invented yet. Yeah. And that is before we realize 
there is GPT. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we did a math in class. So I think by the time 2022, we'll still have 62% that hasn't been invented yet or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So the article was talking about a lot of these jobs are in the AR, VR areas. And this is not just people who are full stack developers or designer for AR, VR experiences. This is also a trend right now in terms of the front end content creation developers. They make tools for users to create content. And this is different than the back end. For example, roadblocks, right? right? People who build a roadblock is different than people who creating UCG contents for Roblox. And the reason that they self-identify as a technology company is they're building all these tools for users to build contents for the platform. Yeah. So there is all that as them being fully exploited. And we do see a few alums working in the startup right now who are actually are doing front-end tools developer. And there's also the psychological end of it, right? We're looking at AR, VR, and some technology are more immersive than the others. And when it's immersive, that means you're focused. And when you're focused, you might get traumatized mm-hmm. by some of the experiences. We don't have, right now, we look at this like it was part of a sort of a psychiatrist's jobs. But I think the procedures, the, how it works, eventually be specialized. And with now the AI and the GPT, it changed how a lot of things works. And we talk about the problematic IP you know, who actually owns things that's produced by the AI tools, right? Yeah. So the model behind it, they might study your work. They might study books. They might listen to this podcast and have a database of things. So when they answer other people and will give, will help other people write a one pager or a paragraph, how do you put the bibliography together? And if you're doing mid journey, you create pictures. If it mimic a specific style, do you credit that styles? We don't have any rules on that. So legal part, it's right. going to be a new territory for job. There's going to be people specialized on IP issues that yes. are created by AI, right? We're looking at a lot of possibility moving from now to 2030 and the new type of jobs. It's not just in education, in immersive. We talk about how do we be relevant to the future ecosystem as a higher education institutions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is really exciting is to look at Redblocks and the work with Roblox this sort of already have a sort of somewhat a metaverse structure to it, mm-hmm. right? And can university be a part of it? Can we be relevant? And I think this is what actually most of the fashion brand is doing right now is they have a role in platform like Roblox. You start buying Gucci t-shirts when you're at nine years old. Yeah. When you are 19 years old, you're going to continue to buy Gucci t-shirts, right? So there's also, you know, advertisement element to it. We're not talking about the moral issues behind all this. But this is why everything is the way it is right now, right? So how do we keep relevance? How do we teach differently? We used to talk about people come to school, they're like a blank piece of paper. That's no longer the case. Now people come in with, you know, I already learned this technology in high school. I already learned this technology in middle school. I already used it. You know, I, I went to my son's Halloween party and one of the kids coming in as Adreno board. Adreno board is a microcontroller we use to teach physical computing or basic electronics. Yeah. This is the course exists in university. So my son is fifth grade and his fifth grade kids come in in an Arduino costume. So a lot of kids are learning this early on. How does higher ed states relevant in this area? Is something I want to find out because my selfish, self-inflicted goal is I don't want there be a gap between us 
yeah. in the society because things are changing too quickly. So if we have a gap, then you have to have culture shock first, and then you have to catch up. It won't be too much time wasted. Yeah, lots of really relevant advice in there around staying current, staying on top of things, getting access to the expensive technology, also unlocking the power of user-generated content, being willing to listen to the rising generations, being ready to let go of things. A lot of really relevant advice in this conversation. We're about to reach our conclusion. This is Kyle Lee. He's assistant professor of design technology at Parsons School of Design. Kyle, it's been amazing having you with us. Any concluding thoughts as we wrap up? I think the really important things to have right now is to keep an open mind. I will say six months ago, we probably have no idea the potential threat that, you know, the AI tools can cause. Oh, this is beautiful. I want to play with the tools. And now the more you think about it, it's like, oh, this is concerning a little bit. There's, there's going to be more on that. There's still a lot of technology. We haven't seen the full potential yet. Mm -hmm. The brainwave computer and the, the brain interface, you know, yeah, that, right. that's being developed. How would that change? If I can just do the whole thing by just thinking about it, yeah. that is also a game changer. That will change the landscape of all the XR efforts that we have right now. I would encourage all of us to have an open mind and do your own research. There's a lot of misinformation out there. If you're interested in any of the things that we talk about today, maybe use that as a thread and start your own research on whether or not this is, could be a part of your ideal future, right? And then after that, just do what you think is right. And I think mm -hmm. that's very, very important. This has actually also changed how we teach in university. I think in the past, we use a lot of quote, all this great designer said in 1950. And a student look at you like, what, what does he has to do with me? He's 70 years old. How does he know what I'm thinking? So we have to face a lot of that in classroom essays. And I think the answer to that really is just keep an open mind. And I always go back to the idea of life, right? Make it relevant to your day-to-day -day living. And that goes back to the user center design and all the things that we spoke today. When you do that, it will become relevant mm. to the audience as well. Absolutely. Relevance is key. Stealth learning is the other idea in what you were talking about. I heard it described as you're just having fun and the learning sneaks up on you. It's like the learning that's even happening in Roblox. Kids are learning a ton in there. It just may not be covered in their formal K-12 curriculum. And then how does higher ed pick up those learners where they are when they come out of there? Lots of interesting stuff emerging in the world around us. Really appreciate the time you were able to take with us today, Kyle. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And hopefully our listeners enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write us a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. Mm -hmm.